I think we're live. Okay. Welcome. 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 One mission. One rule. Make accounting fun. Andrew Wall, CEO of CPA for IT. Hector Garcia, CEO of Quick Bookkeeping. And Michael Lee, CEO of Reconcile. Sharing together the best practices in accounting, business, recruiting, and technology. All of these accounting disruptors, disruptors, disruptors. Every Friday, 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready? One, two, three, pause, go. <laughs> so what do you think of our new, our new intro, Ben? I absolutely love it. I'm not sure if it's, uh, it's almost suitable for a Saturday Night Live. Skit. in some sense it's uh, it's got great energy though i love it yeah yeah we're, we're always playing with the new toys we got to figure things out um so tonight uh michael's not with us but we have uh obed who's going to be joining us we're you know um uh, had a great conversation with obed earlier today um we were just talking about um a whole bunch of things some of the technology he's working on right now and we just got into this great conversation about behavioral economics and thought that this would be a great episode to to air on Friday Night Live and just have a conversation about, um, you know, some of the soft skills that are so important for accountants. You know, right now we're so focused on technology, AI, um, you know, machine learning, all this great, amazing technology. Um, and we're not having those conversations about those soft skills and having the relationships with our clients and understanding their psychology and how their psychology works when it comes to money. So I thought it would be a really great conversation to have and you know oh but it's a it's a passion of yours i know and um hector i know we've had some conversations in the past it, it's certainly a big area there's so many things to cover in, in the in on the topic so we'll just run with it and have some fun um but obed why don't you start off start us off by telling us a little bit about you uh where you're from what you're working on these days uh for those of us who don't know you yeah no for sure thanks for having me hector and uh and Andrew, for sure, it's it's awesome to be here. So I'm I'm a Canadian. I, I've been called out a lot for my you know really solid Canadian accent. So hopefully some people will notice that. I'm up in in Canada. I uh, founded a virtual firm probably four years ago up here in Canada. Sold that to you know a larger firm and merged our practices into that. Where I'm a I'm a partner now, kind of doing it, but at a mainstream level. A few more tools in my toolbox with wealth management, and tax, and other stuff. Still love financial technology though. Um, love hanging out with forward thinking guys that like you and I mean my big project right now, like you alluded to, it's just kind of building some different tools and, and different ways of thinking around uh, solving some of our, our clients' problems and bringing a few more of those tools that I've, I've kind of learned in mainstream accounting. How do we bring those to the folks that, you know, I was serving in the kind of cloud world in, in that in that time of practicing, I was really connected, really tight relationships, you know, tons of contact all the time. How do we bring those kind of more mainstream tools to the, I don't want to say the average Joe, but, you know, I, I think in some sense, let's make sure that they're getting the best available too, right? And so anyway, that's, that's what I'm working on. And it's, it's awesome to be here. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us. Pretty cool stuff. Hector, what's new with you this week? You're finally through tax season, right? Finally through the tax season, had some work done at the house. So it was really hectic. And I got a new toy. Um, the people that are listening on the podcast won't appreciate it, but it's a new scanner. It's called a Raven Scanner Pro. It's an unknown brand. I've been using Fujitsu for years. I decided to give these guys a shot and I'm like impressed with it. Like 
I scan a hundred pages in like a minute. It's, it's, it's insane. Um, so I'm very excited about it. I'm going to make a video about it. So I got a new gadget. I, finally, some new hardware worth getting excited about because hardware is always so, so boring nowadays. There's not really no, no new gadget, really. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. yeah. Especially in the scanning, yeah. right, where it's just been so heavily dominated by Fujitsu, who's got uh, such a big share of the market. Um, and, you know, Fujitsu scanners, we all know they're freaking amazing, cheap. Uh, fast. Um, so it's interesting to put some competition out there for them uh, because hopefully that'll just make everything better and cheaper, right? The more competition there is, the better the equipment will be. Um, but uh, today we're going to talk about not technology, not hardware, soft skills. Hector's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, I want, I want technology. I want to I talk about technology. So Hector, when I, when I say behavioral economics, what does that mean to you? I think it, it, um, the best way to describe it is to think about mostly the, the traditional economics you get taught in, in school, which is uh, there needs to be a supply curve and a demand curve, right? And as demand goes up, supplies go, goes down and vice versa and how the price point of products changes when, when all these things uh, move, right? When price, demand and supply kind of have this triangular relationship and, and the traditional thought process of of economists is that the average person is rational like they, they, they always make assumptions that people will always act the same way or they will act exactly based on their background or act exactly based on you know their educational level where they live you know economics for the most part makes a paints a really broad uh, brush on the population and things, things most of the time in macro, right? Where where behavioral economics is not just micro, but is per person, per individual. So behavioral economics kind of studies the fact that people are not rational, the fact that people make decisions uh, based on multiple factors. I think most people decide with their gut and rationalize with their intellect later on. So a lot of times people uh, will behave a certain way. And, and, and I think that even to throw some politics in here. So um, all the polls, all the polling was indicating that there was no possible way that Donald Trump could, uh, could win. It is because the polling, the polling mathematical data was pointing to what people told the pollers. But this leads, leads us to believe that people said one thing to the poller and then they acted a different way. And, 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 and again, the, the, for whatever reason, the rational thing to say was to say you were voting for Hillary, but the gut feeling reason told them that they should vote for Trump. So the, the, obviously it has nothing to do with, with, uh, with economics because there's got no money involved, but typically a vote is a pretty strong way to decide what to do with that resource. Same thing happens when we, we go to a store and this is at the micro, micro level. And you go to the store and you wanted to buy a certain brand of a product, Sony, whatever. You have really great uh, experience with the product. I mean, you, you came in with one idea. Then you go in there and for whatever reason, you see another brand you never heard of. It's next to the Sony. And maybe because it's a little bit higher or a little bit lower or maybe the same price but shinier, something happens that triggers uh, and makes you make a different buying decision. And, and, and this is... Again, I think behavior economics, it's about uh, studying how people act, not what people say or what people should 
do based on the background and the and, and what the statistics point at. Yeah, well, it's it's. I think you you hit the nail on the head. It's about the the whole psychology of how people deal with money, and I, I you know I had a little bit of information about behavioral psychology, um, but I really got introduced to it by uh, a woman that my mother was working with. Her name is Leslie Ann Scorgi. She's a um, a personal financial um, advisor and coach, um, so not like an investor, but like helping people manage their money. And she was really into behavioral psychology. And, and, you know, made me realize how important it is for us as accountants to understand the psychology that people have when it comes to money. Like, you know, how many people have been told that the fastest path to financial freedom is to pay off your house as quickly as possible? Um, yet when interest rates are as low as possible, you know, we can mathematically say, hey, look, you can borrow money from the bank. You can go to the Bank of Nova Scotia here in Canada and borrow money at, you know, three, three and a half percent on a home equity line of credit, invested in that same bank and get a 4.7% dividend. And you've got positive cash flow, market potential upside, but yet people still psychologically like that security of having their house paid off rather than having an investment that could generate even more money and have their money working better for them than if they were to just make, um, the more psychological decision of paying off their mortgage uh, more quickly. And I think that, you know, Oban and I got into this great conversation about, is there the possibility to marry all this great technology with some behavioral psychology? Um, and I thought that was a really interesting conversation. And Oban, you know, maybe you can share some of your thoughts about the potential merger of technology with psychology and and behavioral economics and, and where your thoughts are on that yeah no for sure i think it's both of you guys really articulated kind of the the science behind what we're talking about so i appreciate that um i don't know we, we were chatting i feel like a lot of accountants are kind of puzzled like we have a really really good perspective of our clients we've got all their data we have some really pretty solid opinions of, you know, what they ought to be doing and probably just drives half of us nuts that, you know, people can't execute and we've got all this great advice and I think, you know, the technology has really given us, you know, wealth of information to make better informed decisions. And I guess I'm just kind of asking the question is, you know, are we better off financially? Like are, are our lifestyles better? Are we rendering better advice at scale to the right people? Are they able to act on that? Because I, I truly, I heard a great quote on a podcast earlier that was about they had called marrying man and machine bionic. And that was the first time I've, I've actually heard that reference to say an accountant coupled with technology. It's not man versus machine. It's together. I'm like, oh, you know, we really are like really powered up, but are the outcomes any different? And so I'm starting to really dig a little deeper into, you know, the advice that we're giving the clients we're serving. Is that, is that meaningful? Is it actionable? Like, are they actually improving their financial well-being? And my concern is, is that we focus a lot. We overemphasize productivity, which is awesome. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I, I mean, I run a virtual firm, but let's, let's also stay keep front of mind you know that we're helping people make financial decisions and and kind of the purpose of them engaging us you know typically is for us to help improve their financial well-being and meet compliance or whatever it is but i don't know i don't know if i have any answers but i'm really grappling with that question of 
you know, what are we doing? And, and let's not lose perspective of all the great things that technology has powered us up to do. So I don't know. And one of those is for sure behavioral, you know, like the way people consume our advice and the way people consume their, our client experience that we're giving them. Are we getting that right? And what can we do differently? So probably ask more questions than, than uh, were expected, but those are the types of things running through my head and really I'm wanting one of the outcomes of, of all these productivity gains for our finances to be better, you know, on a personal or corporate level and like, which including our, our own lifestyles, of course. So I don't know, that's pretty kind of yammering on there a little bit, but that's kind of what's running through my head as we, as we tackle this topic here. Yeah. Well, and, and for me, it's, it's, it's about, you know, we've got all these dashboards and we've got all this data and, you know, there's this overwhelming um, desire almost to just present this data and say, look, it's so obvious, make this decision. Um, and I know for myself, we're not taking the time to say, okay, well, is this person a more conservative type of person? Are they a more aggressive type of person? How can we tailor the message to nudge them? I think we were talking about nudging earlier, nudging people along this journey um, and moving them to the comfort zone and moving them to the optimal um, financial performance, because a lot of times that means coaching them out of bad behaviors. And we were talking about yeah. all these people who, who, you know, we've got clients who come in late every year and it's the same people who are late every year. And what can we do to nudge them into the behaviors that we want? Um, and are we presenting the same message to every customer in the same way, assuming that they will all consume it and digest it and embrace it the same way? Or are we actually taking the time to try and tailor messages based on um, the individual clients? And, and I think even if you just started at the basic, like, is this person aggressive or conservative, right? Like, you know, it's, it, you know, just setting two different streams and being able to present information to your client list that are um, more conservative in nature in a different tone and a different frame. And then your clients who are more aggressive and again, a different tone, a different frame, and helping them to, to nudge them along to the right places mm -hmm. with a different communication style um, and a different messaging. And the great thing is that the technology now enables us to do that. Um, you know, everyone's using different, different software. I, I use Infusionsoft, which would mm -hmm. allow me to tag people and then do drip marketing and, and have a, a custom set of drip marketing that was tailored to people who were more aggressive a custom set of drip marketing tailored to people who are more conservative. Uh, and you might even be presenting the exact same um, recommendation, but in just a completely different tone in a way that might be more approachable to them. Right? So what do, you th what do you think about that, Hector, as a, as a way of trying to address the psychology um, behind how people deal with money? Do you start with just an oversimplification? I think um, I'm going to go back to, I'm going to nitpick one of the words that you said, not because I think there's a problem with the word. It just might be a problem with the definition throughout is the word nudge, right? Mm -hmm. So nudge, so nudge could be seen in two ways, right? Nudge could be seen in let's, let's, let's give people information that is, that is, shaped in a way that they understand it so they can make a quicker decision. So a, 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 nudge, could a nudge could simply be speeding up the decision-making process, right? But to, I think for some people, nudge means convincing or nudge means moving someone towards one piece of uh, behavior 
or one piece of decision uh, based on information that you curated and organized and made it in such a way that it was all, I'm not saying, not deceptive because that's a different situation. Mm -hmm. Let's say, if, right. let's say there's no deception right. or no, no, or no ill intent, but you, right. you can, by being a, a great wordsmith and a great arguer and something, someone that has authority in, in certain area or has respect from the person listening, you could, you could easily convince someone to make a decision, uh, that will favor you or that will favor your point. And that could also be considered a nudge. So I think that one of the challenges would be just being careful how the word is used, interpret it and what the intention behind it is just because there's sort of a wide array of, of, uh, of, of sort of meanings and directions you can go with that. On the, on the second part, um, and going back to the definition of behavioral economics, if you, if you think about it, at least in the US, I don't know how, how Canada is, in the US, uh, taxation, it's actually very political and it's very and it's very intentional in terms of getting people to behave a certain way. Like, for example, our tax system uh, rewards you if you have one kid, if you have two kids, if you have three kids, but then there's really no additional reward after the third kid. So what does that mean? That means uh, the government or, or, or our legislature wants to keep population growing. So they want they want to have three kids for every two people. So there's growth, there's replacement and there's growth, but not too many that is actually a burden on the tax system, on the education system and all that stuff. So that's very purposeful if you think about it, right? Uh, the other thing is for years for in, in the US, home ownership has been encouraged. The, 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 the government, the US, the, the legislature, they just want people to own their homes and they give you a tax credit uh, you know, or a tax deduction for your mortgage, your interest, you know, stuff. So, so they want you to borrow, right? So they want you to buy, even if you don't, if you can't afford to buy cash, so they want you to buy, they want you to finance it and they want you to own a house. So all the things in the tax system are almost meant to encourage people to behave certain ways. If you are married filing separate in the US, you, you get no benefits or you take, get taken away a lot of benefits, what, what are they saying? They're saying, hey, if you're married, join your finances. A mm -hmm. husband and a wife with joint finances is most likely to be uh, better you know, as an aggregate than the two individuals. Or if you are or if you get divorced, you know, you, you lose some of the some of the some of the benefits as well. So, again, the, they, they want people to be married. They want people to stay married. They want people to have three kids. In 2007 or 2008, I forget what year it was, uh, they, they proposed this thing called cash for clunkers, where you, you take your car, which is a clunker, all beat up, all messed up, and you trade it in for a new car that, quote unquote, had you know, less emissions than 1.8, whatever, you get an $8,000 tax credit from the government. So what is the government doing? You would say, well, maybe the government is encouraging uh, less clunkers and environmental and safe cars, but maybe not. Maybe you're trying to keep the auto industry alive. If you remember, in those years, the auto industry in the U.S. was dying. It, it was, and, and, and cities like Detroit were getting depressed. So again, the government itself, it's actually um, uh, pushing through the tax system behavioral economics. So they are truly nudging. I mean, that, that's, that's a true, true nudge. Um, mm -hmm. So anyway, so uh, so going back to what Andrew was saying is, you know, what is our role in this whole thing, right? So I think I think the first role, and Andrew mentioned this, our first role is to understand 
the person's motivations and the person's goals. And, um, and hopefully these are uh, objective things that could be quantified, understood, put in writing. But in reality, uh, the journey from where the person is now to where they want to be long, long term, they're going to have multiple states of mind. And depending on what day, what month, you know, how well they're doing in the short term or in the long term, you know, has a recent employee quit? You know, do they have a star employee? Has that business owner gotten enough sleep in the past month? On the busiest month, you go present some data, their state of mind could be different in different areas. So I think that our role, if we are, if the accountants are the most objective and the most sound in the room, right? Because the business owner's moods can, 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 can fluctuate. As long as we know and understand uh, the long-term goal of where we want to be, then I think our job would be to try to nudge that person back into the path. Um, so, so if you present some data to say, hey, uh, you know, these trends are telling me that you should cut department A, that you should uh, you know, stop eating out, that you should uh, you know, get rid of an employee, whatever. These trends are telling me this. And, and, and the reason why I'm telling you you should make a decision on this is because it, it lines up with the long-term goals. And then you're going to get some pushback and say, nope, I'm not even pushing back against you. I'm staying in track with the long-term goals. Mm. So, so, so if you want to nudge behavior, I would say on, if you want to nudge behavior and never be seen as a manipulator, you need to figure out a time where your client is at this most lucid state and they give you the plan. And then, and then what you do is you follow the plan. You know, just like a, an attorney does when they are the trustee of a, of a state or something like that, right? They, you know, somebody passes away, there's a will, there's a trust, there's, there's instructions, there's documentation, and that person is not really uh, making decisions on the fly. They're, they're sticking to a plan and they're following and respecting a plan. So we are allowed to nudge people if we believe in our professional opinion that it sticks to the original plan. But I don't think we should be manipulating people if we are really good at understanding you know, how behavior economics works. Mm -hmm. I love that, man. You had so many good examples of, you know, how systems and tax systems or governments would incentivize or kind of steer people down, you know, a certain path. And I, I love that awareness, you know, and I, I think that uh, us accountants were so well positioned to be objective. You know, we have such a, such a good relationship most of the time with, with the clients that uh, that we're working with. And we seem to just end up in this kind of objective type relationship that, you know, they might not have with their bank or, or whoever. And I don't know, I, I totally agree with you that it, it definitely needs to come from that place of, you know, fiduciary responsibility, certainly not trying to trying to manipulate anyone, but having an awareness of how, you know, the, the system, you know, or a debt instrument or a tax type uh, law might be structured that, you know, would be against our client's wishes and having the awareness to say, hey, some of this stuff is, is pretty poorly designed. You think of how complicated a lease might be or something like that. And that's the time where you really need to be having that awareness and engaging the accountant saying, hey, you know, I had a, an estate plan, I had a retirement plan, I had a whatever vacation plan. Uh, you know, I better check in with, with my advisor, um, seeing if I'm on track. And I really think it's important people have an awareness that there's a lot of ways the world is designed. You look at social media, man, that is so well designed 
to you know send us down a certain path and i think finance is kind of right in there too right with different lending products you know buy now pay later whatever um kind of uh it, it's interesting how much thought has been put into getting people to make the buying decisions i'm wondering if us accountants can do the same but in in the best possible way right taking that same science and applying it to helping our clients you know stay safe and accomplish their goals and yeah, lot, lots of good thoughts though, Hector. I really, really appreciate that. Yeah, well, I think it's it, it's such an interesting topic. I mean, I don't think any of us are trying to manipulate anyone. I think manipulate, manipulation is a bit of a loaded word. But yeah, I, there's only one in the group though. Yeah, my, my clients are certainly looking for me to guide them. Right. And help put them on the right path. That's that's the why they're coming to me. And, and they know that by sitting down with an accountant, we are going to be more objective. It's it's a lot easier to be objective when it's not your money, right? You can step back and just go, okay, look, the math is simple here. It's you know positive one way and negative another. We don't have the emotional psychology tied into it because it's not our money. It's a lot easier to be objective and just say, you know, look, bottom line here, like this is fundamental math here. You do X, you get Y. This is the path that you should be on because we're able to, to separate out the psychological feelings. I don't know if any of you have ever done this, but I've been there where I've like, I know I've given advice to people to do something one way, but then when it comes time for me to do it, to, you know, like what's the classic one, right? Is, is, is sunk costs. Oh, How yeah. many of us know we don't take sunk costs into account when we're making a financial decision? But when you're in the moment, when you've spent that money and it's your money, it's hard to just be like, I have to ignore the fact that this is a sunk cost. Yeah. It's really easy for me to sit there and tell that to a client across the table and be objective. Um, it's not so easy when I'm in that same place. And I think that's why clients are coming to an accountant is to get that objective perspective and to get the help, the nudge along to get them into the right direction. It's not a, a manipulation. It's It's a guidance it's a direction it's it's a goal to help them get to where they've told you where they want to be and like hector like you said that starts with knowing and understanding where they want to get to so how do we how do we um internalize those objectives of the client um and and this sort of comes back to my original question which is do we do we simplify those objectives because psychology is so complex and it's constantly evolving and it changes on a day to day and uh, on a decision by decision basis? Do you simplify that objective just down to the basic terms that you want to be financially free by this day and that means this much money and that's the sole focus, um, or do you or is it something that needs to um, be flexible and you have to be a lot more dynamic in the decision? Um, and, and is there, you know, the possibility for both where you have like this sort of core strategy that underlines everything, and then you add in these, these uh, additional uh, inputs or, or suggestions as things ebb and flow? Hmm. I, I, I'll try to answer. I'll, I'll give it a crack. Um, so I think, I think it's, it's the latter. It's, it's, if you really want to be influential to a person a business, which essentially many times is a group of people, right? I mean, some businesses are, are just one person, but generally speaking, the, the group dynamic, it's, it's a really important one. I think one of the things to, to keep in mind is maybe there's different goals and different uh, measurements and different KPIs or different uh, measuring sticks you give to each person because each person would have a different tool for this. I'm going to give you an example. I used to work for Best Buy 
in from the years 2001 to 2004. There have been the formational uh, years of, of, of my life that have shaped how I look at the world, commerce, customers, stores, that sort of thing. One of the things that they did is some managers in the morning, in the morning meeting, they said, guys, today's goal is $17,836. Let's do it, right? That number doesn't mean anything to anyone. It's just one big ass number, right? Uh, and then some managers say, guys, Hector, you got the printer aisle. Today, you, I need you to sell six printers, attach two ink cartridges to each one. When that person in the, this is the, by the way, they always said the same thing. But mm -hmm. when, when the manager that said, we need $17,000, I never hit the goal because I never really, really cared. It was just one big ass number. But when the, when the other manager came in, I was very specific and, and you know, he would get creative and say, okay, work on, the, work on the USB cables and the paper aisle or whatever, or go work in the mice and attach a mouse pad to every mouse. You know, obviously, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that sort of thing. When, when they were very specific and simple, when the tasks were attainable, when they're within reach, we are more likely to, uh, to, to, to go for it. So a lot of times, and this is obviously a verbal tool, but the way you design your environment right. or your customer's environment could also uh, affect their behavior. So an example, how many customers actually scan all the receipts? Right. So little, right? Oh. And when they do, how many actually get done correct? Not, not many. And, and for the most part, it is because the scanning experience, and I, I know I got a scanner in my head, that's why I'm thinking about that, but the scanning experience is, oh, I have to open the scan app, open it, scan it, press a button, hit save, save it somewhere in the computer, give it a name. You know, that, those seven steps basically stop people from doing it. But if it, was, if, if it was substantially easier through environmental design, people will behave differently. One, one example that I, uh, I read is they were doing an experiment where, where they gave somebody a button, uh, like, like, the, like the Staples button, right? Like the easy button. There's a little button that, they, that was hooked up to their brokerage account. And every time they press that button, it moved $1 from the checking account to the savings account, right? Yeah. So every time you press a button, it did that. So think, think about what yes. that does, right? The, the mechanisms, the tools, to achieve your goals are very, very easy. Otherwise I have to go every day, remember to open up the app, select the account, yeah. transfer from here to here or automate it. But then if it's automated, I'm forced to do it. I don't have a choice. So people will either go for don't do it uh, or automate it. And but there's really nothing in between that, that button you know, makes, it, makes it in between. And the, the, the people were significantly more uh, propense to save that, I mean, to press that and save money that when the tools around it to getting there were much more complicated. So mm -hmm. I think that if, um, if you're trying to make it easier for your client or, or help them, or what does it look like to help your client through that patch or nudge them through it? I think a lot of it, and obviously it's psychology, you have to understand, but a lot of it is looking at the tools, what levers, what buttons, what path they work, do they work? What are their disposal? Do they have access to too much information? Do they have access to too little information? Do they have the illusion? Do they have the illusion that they have access to enough information? Because I, I, I've been with many clients in which are the owners don't want to give the employees a lot of, like they don't want to give them a lot of real information. They're very distrustful about profits and, and customer information and that stuff. But 
the employees were hungry. So he found a whole bunch of really sort of obvious things, you know, like how many employees per hour, like something that you can watch and you can see, you know, nothing that really gives uh, additional sort of data, but it yeah. give, give people the impression of right. data and incur encourage them to act upon it. So, um, so I think you can adapt it based on the user. Some users want a lot of information, some little information, some, some, some maybe just want one thing to do, like advisors, right? We talk to our clients every month and we're always giving them advice. You, you speak to the advisors that, are, that watch this and listen to this. And most of them will say, yeah, I give my client advice all the time. They never hear me. They never act upon it. Okay. Right. This is every advisor can say, almost every advisor can say, but I bet you it's not that the advice is bad is that it's too much of it right. or, uh, or you, you the, the, the advice is, is really sort of high level and it doesn't include sort of the step, this, the steps and the short-term measurements on how you can say, okay, we're getting closer. Because if you tell someone, look, you got to cut your, your cost by $10,000 a month. That's great insight, right? I, I looked at the numbers. I measured it. I did the economics on it. You have to lose cost by $10,000 a month because you're, you're bleeding. You tell it to a business owner and they say, great, thank you. I, that's the number I needed to hear. What happens the next month? They don't. But if you go back and say, all right, we're going to cancel this subscription. We're going to fire this employee. We are going to sublease this space here. We're going to reduce our inventory to half and we're going to do a fire sale to the rest of it. And that's how we're going to uh, cut the $10,000. And then what you do is you give them the five steps and say, first month, we'll do this one. You got one thing to do. And I think that helps a lot. I think it's, yeah. it, it, and, I, and I got some clients that are sophisticated. They want a whole laundry list and they want to choose from it, right? Because they want that illusion of control. They'll choose from it and they'll still execute one. But if we believe that the path is one, two, three, four, five, let's just, let, let, let's not give them all of them one, uh, at the same time, give them one at a time. So those are my thoughts around sort of like execute, executing yeah. behavioral economics and advisory. Big fan of that, man. I'm a big, big fan. I love that. I love what you said about easy, right? I think a lot of times we just make finance hard for people. You know, we, we overwhelm them or we assume that they have the same background or, you know, ability to, to synthesize financial information. And, you know, as soon as we throw a spreadsheet up in like a client meeting, I'm like, okay, like just take that down right now. You know, 95% of people, as soon as a spreadsheet comes up that, that aren't accountants, um, they're just kind of overwhelmed with the information, right? And I, I really like that message, Hector, of, you know, hey, let's consider or give some consideration to, you know, is it too much? Is it too little? Are the people able to kind of break this down into actionable steps? That makes a ton of sense to me. And I'm just wondering, like, is that something the accounting industry should be working on? Is that something we should bring into our practices and maybe something that, our tools should start to start to uh, start to accommodate. You know, it's like that personal side of of things. I'm, I don't know. It's a question. I'm like, is there? We're definitely really good at productivity with all the you know bank feeds and statement fetching and you know like receipt bank, like bill log, like all that stuff seems to be. You know, we're way better at like. Um, getting stuff done quicker, but are, 
you know, should us accountants be working on that other side of things, right? Really honing our advisory skills and taking into consideration the, the latest science and, and that kind of thing. I don't know what, like, you guys think we're, we're, we're creating a gap between like the production of like bookkeeping data and creating like awesome kind of holistic financial advice or what's your guys' perspective on that? Well, I, I'm going to say, first of all, I think um, we, we are starting to get into the behavioral economics. I mean, to touch on a topic that I know Hector is really passionate about is mm. value billing and value pricing. Yeah. That is behavioral psychology. Yeah, like, totally. Things down to giving people three options, knowing that likelihood they're going to probably choose that middle option. We are actually starting to bring behavioral psychology into what we do. But I think a lot of people aren't recognizing that that's what they're doing and they're not studying behavioral psychology and they're not taking enough time um, to empathize. And that's, that's a broad statement because there are people definitively out there that are doing it. Mm. And I think it is hard for us um, because, you know, we're in an industry that is mathematically based and that is logically based. It is not, from our perspective, emotionally based. And a lot of this discussion is now, when we talk about behavioral economics, it's about how emotional decisions impact your financial decisions. Um, and I think we all know and have a uh, innate understanding of this because we, we do it every day in our own lives when we make our own financial decisions. Um, it's, it's that I think that we need more courses like this at QB Connect. We need uh, more courses about psychology and about behaviors and about how those understanding those skills are just as important as understanding what a debit and a credit is. And that as, as a financial coach or financial professional of the future, we know that the debits and credits are going to be handled by the machines. And mm -hmm. that's where the value is. The value is going to be in these soft skills. Um, and we're not embracing that, even though there's lots of talk about it, how many sessions at QB Connect, Toronto, San Jose, Australia are on soft skills? Yeah, that was my question is like, because I've, I've been interviewing a bunch of accountants, right? And what I've started to discover is like a lot of the conversation is around productivity, you know, automation, which is like super cool. No question. Like I love, you know, like I love not having to do a bunch of debits and credits. That's great. But are we leveraging that to make better like are people more financially well maybe we shouldn't be maybe that's just stupid maybe we should just be masters of data automation but i find it very interesting that a lot of the talk by large vendors is about advisory building your value-added practice you know automated data will create these opportunities yet when i interview these firms you know like a lot of the practitioners are more focused on like they're not they're not hardcore, you know, advisors rendering tons of value ads, like really hammering the upsells. They're, you know, like the meaningful, powerful upsells. They're more kind of mastering automation, mastering kind of the, the compliance and data generation, which I think both are like, no question, both are valuable and we got to do both. But I've, I've noticed through interviewing, there's a gap between the messaging from some of the profession, yeah, building advisory, that type of thing versus what's happening in practice with some of these kind of heavy tech type firms. And I don't know, it's, it's interesting to me, right? That, you know, are we doing enough on that front is something I'm wondering about. Yeah, well, I think 
I think the reason why we're not, I'm not saying we're not doing it, but I would say most accountants are slow to do it is mm. because accounting, it's about measurements. It's about measuring, right? So we, we, we justify the economics of the, of the industry. You know, the reason why the entire accounting industry exists is because we are professional measurers, right? Yeah, um, and uh, and ad advisory, for the most part, can be measured. You can't measure how good you make someone feel after mm -hmm. giving them your opinion about something. You can yeah. measure uh, how 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 much you have inspired or not inspired that person to take action. None of these things can be measured in the present and obviously not in the past. All these things are about possibilities of the future. And mm -hmm. accountants are not in this industry. Our formal training has, as a matter of fact, we are actually uh, in, in uh, Obed, Obed, are you a CPA as well? Are you a CA? Yeah, you bet. You yeah. Bet. So, so, so you know that, that we are prohibited from talking about the future in any way, you know, like, and if we're going to write a forecast or something like that, we have yeah. to add so many disclosures and so many assumptions. So we right. have to, we, we have to objectively explain our assumptions, which makes absolutely no sense because assumptions have, are, are objective. So, that, so that's the challenge. The challenge is that a science, uh, let's, let's call it advisory a science, a, sciary, a science of non-measurement, it's sort of what, what they're being told, this is what you need to practice. So everything right. you know how to do, which is measure stuff, is no longer valuable, right? <laughs> now, now what you have to do is you have to predict stuff, you have to make things up, you have to use, use your gut feeling instead of a calculator. And that yeah. frightens people that quite frankly went to school to avoid that right um and and uh, and and some of the, and sort of what what's the opposite of accounting like what would be the career that would be the opposite of accounting like it's, to, it's still in the business world it would be marketing correct because yeah. because accounting is about justifying how much something's worth and marketing it's about making something take uh, uh making something more valuable without adding absolutely no inputs into it. So they're actually in the, in the in complete opposite spectrums. You know, a, a great marketer, um, a great marketer can make something worth more without lower, you know, without lowering the price just by how they frame it. So yeah. you, you make something worth more, how you frame it. So that way, so exactly what, uh, what uh, Andrew was saying about the, the reason why value pricing, studying value pricing, not just, you know, not, not just not charging by the hour, not just charging a flat fee, not just giving choices, but understanding how people buy, how people behave, how people value things. That's behavioral economics. And, and, mm -hmm. and I'm not an expert at it, but I, I, I try to sell, always sell everything backwards. I ask my client, where do you want to be? And let's go backwards to where you are. And the sales process, it's about getting you there. And then we'll discuss the details about how, you, how we get you there, where most people think progressively. They're like, this is where I am. This is where I want to be. Okay, how do we get there? But the problem is you start, you start talking about how you get there and you start thinking that's going to take a lot of time. That's going to take a lot of work. So people want to charge by the hour because they don't know what, what there is. But when you um, can see the future, okay, not see the future, but can you make assumptions about the future you can paint them you can think about that you can inspire someone to go towards them that makes it much easier for you to price uh the the, the value that's inside someone's head so 
that's the that's the true challenge right the true challenge is to 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 understand what what so let me i'll tell you the easiest behavior economic trick out there i think is use the word imagine imagine is an extremely powerful word mm. in in the english language as a matter of fact we'll do this exercise obed and andrew close your eyes for a second i'm going to say imagine imagine so imagine three years from now you are now you and i are sitting in a cafe we're laughing and talking about work that we did for the last three years and we're both thrilled with our interaction <laughs> we were both thrilled with our worker interaction and we were very successful at doing what we wanted to do what happened in the past three years to get us there that's it imagine that so yeah. when you when you can have that conversation with a person you can get the person to imagine you three years from now super happy super excited about what you did in the last three years and then say what happened to get us there so then yeah. you get people thinking about the future right that that's called the dan sullivan question from a book called the dan sullivan question um which it, it, it's all about mastering uh this imagination of the future and and behavioral economics is about well i would say more the marketing side of behavioral economics is about getting people to imagine what they get out of that thing or that service that they buy not what they're getting the minute they're buying it not what they're immediately going to do with it what is the outcome from that purchase so if you can communicate to that or you can understand that or you can get people to verbalize it to say it out loud then at that point you want to attach yourself to that vision and say okay um, my job is to help you get there i just happen to be a good accountant and i'm going to exploit my skills but that's not what i'm doing i'm not an accountant you're not hiring me to be an accountant i'm your partner on getting to get to making that vision real right yeah. making that imagination a reality how we get there the tool that i have it's accounting so would you like me to use my tool for accounting to help you get there that's it that's the most powerful thing you can do to be able to talk about the future discuss the future or get people to at least say it because a lot of times people can tell you what they need now people will say i need this i'm in need of this this is my current fire this is my current chaos people are very quick to tell you their current problem right. but it takes a while to get them to stop think imagine plan in their head verbalize it and say this is where i want to be if you can master that skill then you're you're starting to understand how people behave what mm -hmm. what motivates someone what, what do they value and, and then you and then build a business that economically gets people there right now if someone says well i need to fix some personal issues that i have well that's that's a psychologist that's a different industry altogether but most people if you ask them to if you're an accountant and you're sitting there with the context of an accountant advisor and you're telling people imagine uh the desired future state it's mm -hmm. going to involve money right it's going to say i bought this property i hired 10 people i bought a new machine i have 10 million dollars more more in sales right it's going to involve something to do with uh money technology uh the business structure the people that they hired uh investments capital so people will give you the answer to that without getting into the the you know the 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 personal mushy stuff about mm -hmm. how people feel right people will tell you how they feel because they tell you what they want in the future that's it if anyone tells you what they want in the future 
they're telling you their feelings. Mm -hmm. No, I, I love that. And I think I really, what resonated with me there, Hector, was, you know, getting a real sense of that future state, right? And then identifying that, yeah, we can help you get there and, and accounting will be my tool, you know, and, and maybe it'll be other things, wealth management, insurance, you know, whatever, CFO services, et cetera. But, you know, the role I think about, when people sit in front of us and it's like, what is it like, what is the purpose that we're playing in your life? Like what would make you wake up in the morning, put on your shoes and like drive down to, you know, an accounting firm or, you know, find us online and, and start to engage us. Like what, what would happen in your mind to do that? You know? And uh, like, yeah, really like a lot of that purpose is around like, I need someone who's financially literate. I need someone who's understands my, my personality or my goals and you know is capable of helping me navigate you know whatever lending agreements the tax code whatever so I just think about that I'm like yeah so I, I really like agree with like a ton of what you said there around you know understanding the future state and then also understanding that you know our role a lot of times is like accounting is our tool to like help help achieve some goal like people don't wake up and say you know I really got to be compliant that's like my number one priority. I just got to be compliant. It's more that future state of, you know, hey, I want to be financially fit or I want to, you know, accomplish some lifestyle goal or I'm worried that, you know, I'm going to screw this thing up and I'm going to bankrupt my family. Like it's something like that that's usually going through their mind. It's not, you know, those debits and credits got to be perfect. Like I just cannot live if that bank, bank's not reconciled. And I don't know if other accountants feel that way, but I think it's starting to surface that that kind of purpose, intention, you know, why are people engaging us is, uh, I think it's an important consideration. Obviously, you're well aware of that uh, by what you just, what you just described there. Yeah. Obed, have you studied uh, Phil Jones? You know who that is? He's, uh, no, I'm going to write that down. A, yeah, he's the author of a book called Exactly What to Say. Okay. And he talks about heuristics and heuristics are... Uh -huh a big part of behavioral economics, right? The, the mental yeah. shortcuts, the, 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 the quick way yeah. you get someone to, to, to think about things in a certain way. And uh, uh, he's, uh, he's, really, he's really neat. Check it out. He's got a book called Exactly What to Say. So for example, he, he says something that, um, that says, for example, when you're, in a, when you're about to give someone good news and bad news, typically what you say is, you start with something that's good first, right? So you say, hey, you, you, an employee, you're about to fire. You're like, hey, in the past three years, you have done so much for a company, X, Y, Z, you've done this, you've done that, but, and then you do something else, right? Mm -hmm. So what happens is, so what happens is when you, when you start with something good and say, but, that heuristic makes the other person completely forget about mm -hmm. everything you said first and, mm -hmm. and, start only paying attention to what comes in front of it. So he's a professional, this guy, Phil, uh, Phil Jones, he's a, he's a professional uh, salesperson. So he, he teaches salespeople. So he says that one of the best tricks to do is to say, I don't know if this is for you, but, and then you explain what you want to, when you want to sell. And the reason for that is because what we're doing is when we say, I don't know if this is for you, you're taking it away. Right. So, you're, so, so that, that person already is saying, oh, you're not trying to sell me something. You're presenting me some alternate, some alternate process that you're already saying that's probably not for me. But mm -hmm. then you say, but, and then you basically negate it. And then yeah. the person immediately says, 
but what do you mean? But let me be the judge of if that's going to be good for me or not. So I think, and, and these are just words, right? It's just the way yes. you frame things, the way the way you talk about things. So I think heuristics are also an sort of a easy way to quickly get to to that, right? Getting people thinking or getting people people's mind focused around what you're what you're what is it the message that you want to transmit. Mm-hmm. not the other one in the example of when you fire someone to say hey you've been great but then what you wanted to do is you wanted them to be focused on the good part so you don't have to hear hear them cry or whatever right you want them to be focused on the good part and then basically by saying that but you completely did did the opposite so you would have to do it the other way you have to say hey today's your last day but we're very happy. We're very happy with what you've done. I've written a letter of recommendation. I have a couple of plans for you, this and that. And you just by flipping what goes before the butt and after the butt, you get people to then think about something else completely. And I don't know if that's behavioral economics, but that's heuristics, which is kind of around. Yeah. It's yeah. Tons of cool examples like that. And it's, Stuff we should, you know, develop an awareness. I'm hoping, you know, as we as we kind of grow the advisory and we become more, you know, I think empowered with technology to say, hey, yeah, we really need to, you know, spend a little more time understanding how we're presenting things, how people are consuming our services and the products we're bringing to market. And because I think one thing I know about the accounting profession is there's a shit pile of really, really good people hardworking people with tons of good ideas. And, you know, it irritates me that our presentation probably doesn't adopt a lot of what you just described there, Hector, with, you know, well thought out, easy to consume ways of presenting that I think actually would benefit people. Like I've met a thousand accountants that are phenomenal human beings with great advisory skills and great ideas about how to help people. But then our presentation is just, the opposite of what you just described. It's kind of some kind of horrendous, you know, uh, pitch or presentation or kind of muddling through, a, you know, an advisory session. And if we can build that up, I think that I truly do think that, you know, a lot of people would be served by, you know, some great accountants and for what it's worth, it's, you know, me and Andrew were, were we had a great sesh earlier on this type of stuff, eh? Yeah, we totally nerded out on it. I mean, I think that, um, you know, the, the industry is evolving to this, whether we like it or not. Um, we're going to have to be more in touch with this gray area, uh, or so to speak. Um, and I think that, you know, Hector, you're doing it. You're like, you're, you're actually all over behavioral economics, whether you define that you are or you aren't, you, you are doing it. You're mm-hmm. doing value pricing. You're looking for the intent. This, I love this, this idea of, sit back, close your eyes and imagine where you are. That is like behavioral economics 101. You're guiding them um, to give you a vision so that you can present things uh, in a way to help them achieve that vision. Um, and, you know, like you talk about your language and, and, the, and the verbiage and the way you do it, that, that is also important and critical. It's not just as simple as, you know, having the same message, even if it's the advice is just as valuable for person A and person B, how you present that and how you engage with person A and person B have to be different based on their intents and their visions and where they're going to go. Um, and I think that I personally need more help and more guidance on understanding the psychology and how to do a better job of that. And I think that they're, you know, we're, we're starting to touch on that with things like 
value pacing. And, and when Ron comes in, Ron talks about behavioral psychology, but it's just the tip of the iceberg of what I think we need to start getting into and start mm. bringing more of these soft skills and, and understanding um, relationships, psychology, um, people's motivations um, to help us become better advisors um, for our clients. Because our, our, our goal and our objective is to help them achieve their goal and their vision, whatever that might be. Um, but understanding what are their motivations and what are their triggers will help us to do a better job of that. Um, so I think we're, we're probably running um, mm. close to our time. Um, I, I want to add one more because this is one that I've implemented recently. Um, I, I've, I read this in a, actually, I probably heard it in a podcast, but and it was in a different context. Uh, it was in like a, it, it was a, actually listened to a podcast that's about designers, graphic designers. Um, there's a YouTube channel called The Future and I follow them because I like to draw similarities between the difference between charging someone for a logo versus charging someone for a tax return. It mm -hmm. sounds like it's very different, but that's actually not. And when you start watching for the wording and the challenges, anyway, so, um, so the, my translation to it is we, one of the advice that we give to our prospects is to not go cheap in, with accounting, right? So mm -hmm. if, if, if we have a prospect that had a bookkeeper and they didn't pay them that much, or had an accountant and they went really cheap, our instinct is to say something like, don't go cheap in accounting. This mm -hmm. happens, right? So just go for the negative, right? Yeah. Don't go cheap with accounting. So just replace advice such as don't go cheap in accounting, replace it with invest in a good accountant. The, uh -huh. the, power, the power of saying don't go cheap to Fair invest enough. in is Fair night enough. and day. Like if you're, if you're in a store and you're looking at two TVs, a Sony and a whatever brand, Right? The salesperson has two choices. They can say you don't buy a cheap TV. I guess that could work. And if anything, if I was considering buying a cheap TV, you're actually contradicting what my consideration is. You're, judge, you're actually uh, borderline uh, you're making judgments on, 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 on my decision-making process. But if they say invest in a good TV, yeah. they're actually not contradicting your thought about going cheap with the TV, but they're inserting a new idea yeah. in your head right to get you to consider it and actually you know i know where i heard it from this one was from a book i just finished reading which is called flip the script by oren claff great book so yeah. it really talks about it's actually a really awesome book it talks about the framing effect and how, how how to sell and that and that sort of thing about pitching your services flip the script that's what i heard it from so he was talking about an example of just changing the framing of that little tiny detail, you know, don't go cheap in an accountant versus invest in a good accountant night and day. I mean, just the way that people uh, accept that. So I just wanted to add that because I recently implemented that literally a couple of weeks ago. Now I got to get Hector on, on, on the line that I use when people tell me we're expensive. I'd love to hear your, your input on it. So what, what I usually say to them is to say, yeah, you're right. We are, we are not the cheapest accounting firm. But, you know, there's a big misconception out there that accountants are commodities and that we're all this mm -hmm. and, and that things are black and white. There is a lot of yeah. subjectivity in tax, a lot of interpretation of tax law and case history. And let me ask you a question. If you were sitting on death row, would you be looking for the cheapest lawyer? <laughs> that, that's a good one. But I, I think uh, I, I might have one that's better. It's a classic. I like it's it. from it's from. Uh, okay. 
So there's a guy named Red Adair. I forget what his real name is, but he was like sort of redheader, redhead, redhead, and they call him Red Adair. He's a, he's a big Texan. He was spe- he was a he was a specialist in putting out fires on oil wells. That was his mm-hmm. thing. Okay, and there was one big oil well where literally they were losing million dollars a day or whatever the equivalent of a lot of oil spilling, right? Um, and uh, and they they could have gone with any sort of any person to oh and and this was uh not just spilling on fire these are wells on fire so they could go with any firefighters but there was this one guy that he was that's the only thing he did he was absolute master of his craft and they called him and they paid whatever he said and and and, and he had a really innovative way the way he put out well fires is by exploding them so he would build a fire bigger than the fire that was coming from it and the bigger fire will suck up all the oxygen and completely put it out so he was very innovative unique and and he was well known he, he was the epitome of if you want the best you pay him period mm-hmm. right so he's got a famous quote that says if you think hiring if you think hiring an, no, what is it if you think hiring a professional is expensive wait until you hire an amateur. Uh-huh. I think just that quote is just amazing and it just exemplifies the whole thing. If you're, if you're a professional, you're a master at your craft, what you do is what you do and your customer draws a great benefit from it. It's, yeah. really, not a, it's really not about, uh, even, I think the, 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 the death row example is good, but then the people that, the, the cynics are gonna say, well, this is not a, accounting is not a life and death situation. Right. Yeah. So I think that's that's just a quick way. That's a heuristic, right? So someone right. that thinks, oh, this guy's using, you know, a fatalist example, heuristic. Some people will use heuristic and completely discard it, right? So that that's the, you know, so I think that's sort of the opposite to say, hey, you know, it could be expensive, but uh, but it could be even more expensive if we have to do it twice. Mm-hmm. Um, so I uh, love your about that, Andrew. <laughs> like your investment example was awesome, you know. I, I thought that was a really good te- good way of shifting the conversation to say, yeah, you know, this is it's not an expense; it's an investment. You know, if you want to grow your financial well being, this is the crew you need to be hooked up with. Anyway, I you know, I thought, man, that was a phenomenal example. Well, thanks, thanks again for for joining us tonight, Obed. Um, it's been a blast having you, and uh, you know, our conversation earlier today was was great. Um, I'm sure we're going to be hearing more about you as. Any dates or timelines and when uh, you'll be rolling out your new application? Yeah, I mean, hey, I'm asking for feedback now. That's where a lot of our conversation came from, right? Validating some early uh, hypothesis and some value propositions, right? Kind of standard startup stuff 101. And, you know, so wanted to talk, honestly, to the smartest people I can find. Um, kind of have them poke holes in my game. So anytime, anywhere, I want to have a conversation and pick your brain and maybe do a demo or whatever. But the idea at this point is let's get, hammer things really well and stress test our thinking. So I'm, I'm open. Awesome. Well, we'll, we'll keep the conversation going and mm-hmm. uh, we'll see you on social. Hector, as always, a blast. And maybe we'll, we'll close out with, with uh, uh, our new intro one welcome, more time. Welcome. Welcome. Oh, welcome. Hi, guys. Unicorn. Unicorn. It's right. laugh there. One, one rule. Make accounting fun. Join Andrew Wall, CEO of CPA4IT. Hector Garcia, CEO of Quick Bookkeeping. And Michael Lee, CEO of Reconcile. 
sharing together the best practices in accounting, business, recruiting, and technology. Follow these accounting disruptors, disruptors, disruptors every Friday, 11.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Welcome to Friday Night Live with Accountants. Are you ready?